gathering in the room or online. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Kyle. I am the lead pastor here at Generations. And I just, again, it's good to be here. <laughs> um, uh, I know we've talked a little bit about like our different cards to take next steps and interact. Definitely like grab one um, on the ta- back tables, fill out a prayer request. We want to get to know you and your story. Um, when we do here at Generations is much more than come, sit down, sing some songs on a Sunday morning. We really aspire to live out our faith every day and do that together. And so we're trying to do that well. And swapping stories, getting to know your story is for us really a part of that journey and allow you to get to know us as well. You know, a person's body language tells a story and really a person's body, the, the scars, the, the hurts, the aches, tells a story. Sometimes a, a person's body language, you know, arms crossed, recluse, can, can communicate that they're not interested, not wanting to talk. Um, you know, you, you probably all have some of those people in your life who, uh, without saying anything, you know exactly what they're thinking by their facial expressions. Um, whole shows are made off this idea of the idea of like just by a person's little twitch, you can look at them and like know are they telling the truth or lying. So the the, the show Lie to Me comes to mind, uh, that CBS show, and just a person's whether it's their limp, their scars, their facial expression, we can a person's body can convey something. As we begin a new series on Hebrews, what we, we don't know much about the author, whether it's really a letter or a sermon, but we can learn something about the audience as we read this book together. The people in he, who this letter or sermon were addressed to, this audience, frankly, were on the verge of giving up. They were discouraged, trending towards despair. They had tried following Jesus for a short time and kind of found it difficult. In some ways, they were ready to just throw in the towel and said, maybe just another religion is a better option. Maybe going back to my old way of life is a better option. I just feel worn out. It feels too difficult. I think there's a one section of the book where it's like you can almost tell the, the, the pastor, speaker, as, as they're communicating to this audience, is like they're, it's almost like they're uninspired. Like it's, is this really all there is? And I think if we're honest about our own faith journey, wherever we find ourselves, whether it's, it's we're just starting to engage or... We've been a Christian for a while, and you you think about your own story and the ups and downs of maybe a walk with Jesus on, off again, uh, up, down, concerned, questions, doubt, maybe even that level of despair of saying, man, it's got to be easier to do something else than this. I, I know I'm supposed to maybe even love Jesus. I'm supposed to walk with God and others but I'm hurt and I'm ready to just hang it up. This is the audience that this letter, that this, that this sermon is given to this type of people. And they were wondering if the cost of following Jesus was actually worth it. 
because it felt like they were losing way more than they were winning. And so there were always two options before them, and maybe even a third, to say, let's go back to that form of religion, go back to being Jewish, because it's a system, and we know that system. We can play that game. Or let's do whatever we want, just live for ourselves and for what we think is best, and rather than trudge forward and keep eyes on Jesus. Have you ever been on a one-sided conversation where every time you try to talk, uh, the person just keeps going? Like there's, there's no space for, for, for you to like interject where it's like every time you think the end of a sentence is coming, there's an and and a but or a, oh yeah, what about, like what about, and you're like, yeah, but I, okay, okay, not, not it's not my time to speak just yet. It's almost like they don't seem to breathe, whether they're so excited and passionate or they're telling a story and they're just going and going and going. And you're like, surely they have to like breathe. And maybe if you haven't experienced that, maybe you are that person, but <laughs> uh, um, love and grace, no shame, no shame here, says the one standing on stage right now, haven't had taken a breath yet. So we're good. We're good. Where you may want to just interject. Oh, that person. Usually that person's typically like pretty exhausting. And sometimes it's hard to have a true conversation with them, or really even a true relationship, because it feels so one-sided. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe when you're trying to engage with this person, they're always thinking and processing, and you ask a question, and you're like, can I get something out of you? Your face isn't even giving me anything right now, you know, those stone-cold People And it just seems like they're never sharing the more you pry. It's like just trying to pull something out of them. Or maybe it's like you're trying to have a conversation and you just really need to talk with someone, but they never seem to slow down. They're going, they're fixing something, doing something. Hey, I would love to talk, but I got to go here and here and here. And you're like, okay, so do you have time on your schedule? They're always in a hurry, always on the go. And, And maybe even they're not on the go, but it's like they always have like one more thing to do. And maybe that's someone in your life or a spouse. And you're like, hey, can I get some time on your calendar to interact and have this conversation? And it seems like they always have one more thing, even good activity. But especially when we need to communicate something, it feels like it's unavailable to us. They're unavailable to us. All that to say good communication is hard. And we wonder why we get frustrated in our relationship with Jesus. Because more often than not, we're that difficult person. We often want God to speak, but rarely, rarely slow down to listen. We often want God's help while filling up our own schedules. We often miss God's perspective when we never process our thoughts with God because we've made up our minds before we even talk with him. One of the most important assertions made by the author of Hebrews in these initial verses is that God is a speaking God. That God can be seen, known, and heard. 
The technical term here is called revelation. That God reveals himself to us. That for sometimes in our experience, we feel like God is at a distance, uninterested in our lives. And it's actually the inverse in that. God is very interested in us and what is happening in our day-to-day lives. And wants to be known, to walk with us in our every day. But we fill up all the space. We fill up all the conversation. We, we, we make up our minds and then ask him for his approval after we've already decided. And this audience, we're asking, so does God still speak to us today? Because uh, uh, the competing systems of religion, their competing life felt like God was absent. And so the very first sentence, the author speaker begins to answer is this question. Does God still speak? And this is the response. That long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. See, God had spoken and in different ways, but they were fragmented. They were impartial. For example, like if you were to just kind of go out and wander out, about like I know those the weather changes here like we still get great beautiful days like we had yesterday and we see a mountain and we see the leaves change and we get to see that like God actually speaks to us in nature Psalm 19 1 and 2 says, clearly affirms this reality it says the heavens declare the glory of God And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. The New Testament writer Paul in Romans 1 clarifies the nature, the extent, and the purpose of this revealing, of this picture, of when we see something of beauty in nature, that something is being communicated, but to what extent might it be communicated? This natural revelation... God's invisible attributes, that is, are communicated. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what he has made. It's what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Yet at the same time, natural revelation of something bigger and out there is not sufficient to give us any indication of what that being is like and what is the issue with our world and is there anything to be done about it. We could go out and experience and see something great and incomparable and feel like, man, that's truly amazing. Takes your breath away. But there is something behind that reality that is being communicated in that moment. And without something specific, We don't know to what extent might be communicated. See, fundamental to the argument of Hebrews is the conviction that God has revealed himself over the course of history in word and in deed to the people of Israel and through the people of Israel. God is a speaking God. He wants to be known. He wants his creation to know who he is, what he's about, what he is like. And so he speaks. And throughout a quick survey of the Old Testament, God chose to speak through a burning bush, through a donkey. God reveals his character to the prophets of Israel. 
Isaiah and Habakkuk wrote and spoke. Ezekiel actually lays on his side for a whole year. Jeremiah takes a jar and smashes it before the people of Israel so that they can see the nature and the character of God as they interact and want to follow him. And so all these variations of prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament, they wrote and they spoke. But through the Old Testament narrative, the one people of God has always been established by the word of God. And the word of God that he speaks for the author of Hebrews is embodied in Christ. Meaning, God's son in Jesus is God's final word to us. Revealing all we need to know to experience the benefits of knowing and following Jesus. See, for this audience, they need to know that the benefits package that they had inherited, that they had been freely given through Jesus, was going to carry them through eternity. And even when there was suffering and difficulty, that if they could comprehend the package that was available to them, it would actually help them endure. It would help them persevere. It helped them put wisdom into practice in their daily life so when the going got tough, they actually had peace. They had some rest. They had a capacity to endure, not in isolation, but together with others, following Jesus, keeping their eyes on him. See, together in Christ are pulled together both the natural world and the particular character of God revealed in the Old Testament to those prophets that's pulled together in Christ. See, the Son is not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the pinnacle of God's saving works in history. He is also the agent of creation. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And it's significant that the author of Hebrews connects the doctrines of both redemption and creation. The things we experience of beauty and power and splendor within the world, but also boiling it down to particularly how does it come to bear in my life? And will I exchange things that seem like good things? Will I settle for temporary goodness rather than be wrapped up and consumed with something eternal. The one who creates and sustains, who brings about redemption and renewal, basically making everything that seems to be falling apart, working out a better and more beautiful story. The God who creates is the God who redeems. See, Christ isn't the hammer that demolishes everything else. Christ is the key that unlocks what the Father and the Spirit have said, offering perspective. Sometimes we think that following Christ, he just wants to come in as that hammer, as that sledgehammer, just just destroying everything in the past and wants to really destroy everything that we hope to achieve or want in the future. But it's not a destructive nature that Christ comes, but really as as a key to help us see better, to have a better picture, to allow us to walk through a doorway, to have a different type of perspective about the events of our past, the circumstances of our present, and also move forward into the future. 
And when people routinely ask God for these signs, God, just show me or speak to me audibly to get this assurance, to say, God, I need to hear you. I need to know that this is right. Or I need, to, I need you to correct me audibly so that I know I'm not on the wrong path. Or are so fearful that they just don't want to make a mistake. So they ask for signs. They ask for God to speak audibly. What they're actually doing is what, we're, and what we all do at times when we ask for this. Is we're falling into pre-Christ patterns. See, the author of Hebrews says, no, God has spoken. And how he has spoken is through his son. So if we look to the Son, we will begin to know the way. Our questions and longing and assurance isn't found in some supernatural sign in the sky, but actually through the word at which he has already revealed in Christ. We're asking and acting as if God hasn't spoke. And Jesus is even fully aware of that this is our nature. See, the whole gospel of John, if you were to re- go back and kind of read through it, when G- Jesus walks on the scene and he's talking to religious people and they're asking for signs and voices. There it is, God in flesh right in front of them and they're still asking for signs and miracles. And God, please speak to us. And Jesus is like, hello, here I am. Um, he's trying to get them to move from a sign-centered faith to a word-centered faith. So many of us, because of social, because of prestige, for a desire to, for, for a place of prominence, we look for signs to help us know where to go, and the ultimate sign has already been given, Amen. and that is Christ Amen. and his word, because he was the word became flesh. Amen. You have heard me say before That sometimes for us as a church, when we interact with people where we live, work, and play, that you'll be the Bible that they will maybe only or ever read. And I hope that you live the character and priorities of Jesus well. I hope that as you engage with Jesus and you allow him to transform you, give you a new perspective, change your heart and change your habits... And you, and you try to allow that to come to bear in, the, in just the everyday things of life, how you parent, how you, how you think about finances, how you think about business, that as people see that, that it, sometimes when I say that, it's like, well, that's the end. And people might think you've done good deeds, that you're a nice person, but ultimately your good deeds and your niceness and even your well you're changing character and priorities. That's not salvific for them. That doesn't actually save them. Christ saves them. And so the hope is that as you live your faith every day, everywhere, that as they see that change, that you then point to the revealed word of God in Jesus, that they are able to engage with Jesus for themselves. So that they may love your actions, but come to love the Savior more. See, there's other revelation, and we can play a part in that, but it's always fragmented. It's like one of those abstract art pieces 
where like you see all the pieces and parts and it looks like this big jumbled mess and like you keep walking around the side of it and then all the pieces align and become this beautiful picture. See, Jesus is both the picture and the place at which we can see that picture clearly. It gives us both the perspective and the direction he does. Because without him, the word becoming flesh, we'd have no knowledge and meaning of the cross and resurrection of Christ. Nor would we know how to respond to that reality. Nor We wouldn't know that God does love us. That he cares for us. That he has moved towards us. That he offers forgiveness. That he can redefine and give us perspective on our past. That he can help us make sense of our present. And give us the courage at sometimes to just put one foot in front of the other and move forward. Amen. That we don't give up and despair and, and feel like all is lost. Yes. And it's not this, this half-hearted like optimism where the glass is half full. You know, put some pep in your step, like keep going. It's this perspective that helps you make sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, oh... Now I see. I see something that I didn't see before. And the the author here in this densely packaged first couple verses is really going to, this is going to springboard us into the rest of the book. That it's it's through Christ, how we view religion, how we view relationships, how we view this thing called spirituality and following Jesus. It's only through Christ that we can navigate life well. And when we feel like giving up and throwing in the towel, that Christ is ultimately the only one that can give us the perspective, but not just simply give us perspective, be the source of sustenance. Be the one to help us be satisfied, help our soul have some assurance that we crave for. We could not know God if God was not a speaking God. And God speaks to us most profoundly and most perfectly in Christ. So to answer the discouraged Christians in this densely packed opening couple statements, yes, God speaks. And he continues to speak to them and to us through his son. It says, as the radiance of God's glory, the son is the outshining of who God really is. It's kind of funny because my kid's up here laughing and cracking, you know, just having a grand old time. But that, right, that, that's a level of comfort. That's a level of walls come down I don't need to be fearful or feel ashamed. And see, that's what, when we are in Christ, that is the hope. That the walls come down, that as we engage with God's Son, that we don't have fearful, we're not fearful of our Heavenly Father, but get to see who He is and have a, a level of, for us, We don't have to portray this level of perfection or prestige or make it up as we go, but we actually get to exhale. And this is what the author of Hebrews hopes to communicate to us. 
See, the Greek word translated this exact representation was used for an impression left by a seal for the impress, the reproduction on a coin. This term signifies an exact correspondence between the seal that made it and what it represented. The Son, Jesus Christ, is a perfect imprint of the very being of God. These two complementary expressions, outshining and expression, this radiance of God's glory and this exact imprint of God's very being preserve the distinctness of the Son while affirming the finality of His revelation is based on His identity with the God He reveals. And here's what's amazing, is as we see Jesus, as we see this splendor, how love, how he loved, taught how he taught, corrects, brings truth, is gentle, does not shame, forgives, demonstrates grace. Sometimes we wonder, is that actually available to me? And we need some assurance. And what the author of Hebrews here says, He sits down at the right hand of the Father. See, what the Son has been for all eternity comes to fruition and full expression in his exaltation and session where he sits and he rests because his work was started and completed and sustained. See, he makes purification for the sins and sits down at God's right hand as the high priest of his people, as the older brother who says, these people who are my brothers and sisters are adopted into the family. They have been cleansed. They are pure. Those who, who long for rest can find it. Those who long to be cleansed can be cleansed. See, this purification anticipates the description of Christ's atoning work in terms of the sacrifice. And, and this, this seems like weighty, and it's like, God, what are these words at times? But this is where the author of Hebrews is going. Is the saying, do you understand that you have been provided inner cleansing? That you've been provided, the, in no matter circumstances, the pollution that sin is within our world. There is a remedy, and there is... The dominion of sin, you don't have to give way to its power. And there is a removal of the barrier that separates humanity from God. The walls have come down. You can be in the family. You can have a new identity. You can participate with God. And the work of the world, representing his character and priorities, knowing what it's truly like to be human in, a finished, in, a, in this world. See, Jesus' body language says, it is finished. Amen. The work is done. The work that he desired to do in creation, through the cross, through his res- resurrection, and now in his ability to sit down, that work is finished. And that is better than anything spiritual. It's better than anything new. It's better than anything you and I can come up with. And so the author answers to his audience. Yes, God has spoken through the Son. He speaks to you through the Son now. But does, but does that, is that an answer for us? 
But does that statement provide us with an answer? Does God continue to speak to us today because of the, how the speaker answered the audience? Let me ask you this. Where are you looking for God's voice? Scriptures speak about if you seek me, you will find me. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. The challenge is, is sometimes where we look for God's voice is we look in all the wrong places. Or we fill up the space so that we say we're looking, but we're not. I think sometimes some of the places that we look is we, we think we should only just look to nature. That, that nature constitutes the totality of reality. That, man, if, if, just, if there's beauty out there and I'm just in nature and nature is good, then life is good and that's what I need. And so all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, everything is, you know, chalked up to that whole idea of the universe, let's call it. And we just attribute it to nature. That's what the universe wanted. But what happens is if we live that way, then everything becomes a bottom-up, consisting of our own reflection, of our own concept of what is good and what is evil. And we are finite and we are fragile, despite our best ability to put on sometimes the persona that we are strong. We don't have ultimate perspective, and therefore, inevitably, will always cause more pollution then experience and express the beauty that God wants us to. This religion will always originate in the minds of people if we always chalk it up to the universe, since there's no God standing above or outside of nature or to act upon it. Another pitfall we have is we say, yeah, there's something big and true out there, but it's unique for every person. You know, you've heard the statement or sentiment, like, speak your truth. And I, I think it's, it, it should be said that we should listen to people and we should consider their perspective and their life experience and how they view the world, but also hold that with an open hand and an open perspective because someone's perspective may not always be ultimate. Because what happens if, is if you start to tease that out, I like to call this the mindset trap. That if I just have the right mindset, then it'll be better. And sometimes it never gets better, but all you keep hearing from people and all you keep telling yourself is, well, I just guess I don't have the right mindset, so I got to have a better mindset or a better perspective. And for, but for some reason, that doesn't seem to absolve or remedy the suffering that sometimes comes from an unforeseen circumstance in life. That when we simply live out one's individual truth, that truth becomes a social construct. And sometimes this seeps into our religion. It seeps into following Christ that we say, well, if I just persevere, if I do the right religious things, then maybe God will meet my need for a new car. And what happens or a new job or the right person or bless me with the right finances. And what happens is, is, is we start to say, well, I just need this, and this is what I want to manifest, and this is what I want to speak into existence. And when we start to do this down, we actually start to color outside the lines 
of how following Christ really begins to transform our lives. And this will be continued something that we'll talk about in coming weeks. And those who live this way may live ultimately shallow in an insipid form of Christianity if we let that seep into our way of living that in the end neither affects life nor endures the test of time. I think the last pitfall that I'll share here is that we think there's something else to come in terms of one more final revelation. This is how different religion or religious sects get started or manifestations of Christianity get started of maybe Mormonism or a Jehovah's Witness or they, they're, they're an evolved religion that, that cure, surely Christ wasn't the end. We needed one more thing and sometimes you even hear people talk about that. It's like, well, I've got this super secret knowledge that because I've been Christian a certain way or long enough that now I know what it's really like. And that can even seep into our worldview. And so sometimes the pitfall is to think, oh, if I just have this next revelation, no matter how sincere or good it might sound, ultimately is less because God has spoken in his son. See, if the Father has spoken in his Son, then these other revelations cannot be true. Therefore, whenever we hear a new revelation, or sometimes sentiment, well, God told me, we have to compare the outcomes of that with the character and priorities of Jesus. Because God does speak. He speaks through his word and he speaks through his spirit. Well, we've got to go back and we've got to seek and compare that with the character and priorities of Christ. And so what we'll do in this series over the course of the next several months is we're going to start a list about who Jesus is. Because if God has spoken through his son, then we need to see the son rightly. And so Jesus is, in just these few verses, Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the rightful owner of all things that says that he is the heir. That Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's a beauty to be held. Amen. That Jesus is the remedy for sin. He makes purification for sins. Amen. That Jesus is a priest and a king. Yes. Amen. And ultimately in verse 4, what we'll start to pick up next week, is that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than a spiritual being that seems to have power and sway and authority within the world, that Jesus is better than them. See, Hebrews has a message for the people of God who live in a world that refuse to truly acknowledge God, that God has spoken. The words of Scripture are valid. The incarnation, suffering, and obedience, self-offering, and exaltation of God's eternal Son are the ultimate self-disclosure of the divine character, fulfilling what has gone before. Jesus is sufficient. And we have all we need to know God and be known by Him through the presence and revelation of Christ. And there are benefits for us. Amen. We have the ultimate benefits package. 
problem is, is how do we access that? How do we live as if that's true? And in many ways, that's what this series is about. We're going to sing one song to close, and so the band's going to come up, and we're going to just create some space to contemplate the glory and the splendor of Jesus together. That there are benefits mediated through the incarnate, exalted, eternal Son seated at God's right, and they are available to us. The author of Hebrews says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand and the majesty on high. So he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus provides cleansing from sin. When we feel like it's easier to be unfaithful, he offers us renewal. He offers us forgiveness and offers us an opportunity to draw near, to come home. He calls to us to live a life based on the certainty of the promise of future salvation and the reality of his power for present victory over sin on earth right now. And for us, that if we can simply persevere in this life of faith, despite opposition, that we will find a true satisfaction that only comes from Jesus. That if you simply turn aside from your rebellion and unbelief and turn towards Jesus, there's an incredible benefits package. So stop trying to create your own. Stop trying to make it up as you go. Stop thinking that you might know better when ultimately it's Christ who creates and sustains. He can give us what our heart desires. And if you are someone who has always felt, well, I'm pretty sure I do know better. I'm pretty sure I can... I can Achieve this life by my own strength and my own power. My hope is that you consider journeying with us. That you consider Jesus as not just an alternative, but maybe as the one who can provide the kind of life that you actually desire. So go ahead and stand I'm going to pray, and we will simply respond and sing together. God, I pray over us right now that those who feel strong in their faith, those who feel weak in their faith, those who feel like they've got all the answers, God, that here in this moment, that will consider you. God, you have promised that you would reveal us to us through your son, that you revealed who you are in your son. I pray right now that we consider what that reality means. 
God, I pray that we make some room right now in our hearts. For your word to speak to our souls. God, I thank you for Jesus and the love that he communicates. I pray that that love continues to change and transform our own lives. That those of us who have been skeptical at times or feel weary and worn out, that we give Jesus a chance once again. Maybe for the first time. Thank you for your love and for your grace. I pray that we represent that well within our world. Because it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Darkness closes in.